Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Let me say welcome to Church 307, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, those of you who are here in the room. I'm going to preach a sermon today, more teach a lesson today, that is one that I don't think would have been so necessary a few generations ago. But with our world's current idea of what freedom is, it's this self centered, me-centered idea of freedom, I think it is necessary for us to understand what we're talking about when we talk about freedom. The series we're in is called Kingdom Freedom, and I we called it that because we wanted to kind of clarify what kind of freedom are we shooting for? What kind of freedom are we aiming at? We are aiming at kingdom freedom. So what's the kingdom? If you've read the words of Jesus, if you've read the teachings of Jesus, you see that he talks about the kingdom of God all the time. But when he used the word kingdom, it was obviously not the English word kingdom. It's translated a long time ago into the word kingdom. But I think if we were going to translate that Greek word today, we would much more accurately, rather than translating it into kingdom, we would probably call it the rule of God instead of the kingdom of God, or the reign of God, or the dominion of God. Because when we think about kingdom, we think about a physical, like a building, or a a land, or something. It's much more about who's in charge, who's the ruler. It's God's kingdom is everything about everything he rules over. And so if your view of God is big, If you think God has a lot of power, then you think he has a great kingdom. But if your view of God is weak, then you think he has a weak kingdom. It's a small kingdom. The reality is the strength of a kingdom is determined by the strength of its king. So there is this terrible idea that has dominated our world ever since Adam and Eve left the garden. It's the sin that has demonstrated itself in the fairy tales of King Arthur, the sword and the stone. This is the story. It's every Guy Ritchie movie you've ever seen. It's in the Disney movies. They are perpetuating this great lie. What is the lie? The lie is that you are the master of your domain. Anybody ever seen that Seinfeld episode, Master Your Domain? Uh, I can't talk about it because the uptight among us would be very frustrated if I talked about it too much. Uh, But the whole episode's about how they can be the master of their domain. Through the episode, they find out actually they can't. They all try and they all fail. You can't. You can try and you can lie and say you are, but you can't. The bottom line is, if you are the king of your kingdom, then your kingdom is weak. That's not a very American message, is it? You can pretend to be strong, but deep down, we all know our weaknesses. 
We all know that there are chinks in our armor, armor, right? And eventually, the enemy will find those weaknesses. The enemy will realize where he should tempt us and how he should tempt us and, and what he should try to do to get us to fall to his, for his lies. The world says, you are strong, look within. God says, no, you are weak, so look to him. See, the world's dominant worldview, we, we would call it humanism. I, I think that humanism is spreading throughout the world. The ideas of humanism are spreading like wildfire fire across our country. They are dominating even the way many Christians think about life. It's the lie perpetuated by people like Bill Maher and Richard Dawkins and other terrible people. They say that spirituality is weak and humanism is strong. That if you give in to the, the fairy tales of the spiritualists, then you are weak. But if you will look within and rely on yourself, then you are strong. No, Scripture shows us that humans are relentlessly weak. You read the Old Testament and you see people who are blessed by God time and time again, yet time and time again they turn their back on Him. They fail, they sin over and over and over again. And that is not just the story of the Old Testament. That is the story of humanity. God blesses us. He sacrifices for us. He protects us. Yet even within the midst of all the blessing He gives, we fail, we sin, we can't do it. We are big fans of Celebrate Recovery here at New Life. Celebrate Recovery. Um, if you haven't seen this week's podcast episode, Church 307, go search it on YouTube. Go watch this week's podcast episode. We talk a lot about it. But this, the, the principle number one of Celebrate Recovery, Joe told me this, realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendencies to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Principle number one, you got to start here. Yet I think we got Christians all around our country and all around the world who, are, who think they are like mature Christians. They've been doing this for a long time and they haven't even gotten principle number one. They still think they need to look to themselves. I love the word unmanageable. We pre pretend to be in control, but we all know that we are really just hiding our flaws. We're just hiding our weaknesses. How much time do we spend covering up our flaws? A lot. But we always get caught, don't we? We always get found out, no matter how much makeup we put on, or no matter how many activities we hide our emotional issues with, we are always caught, we're always found out. Somebody sees them. Jesus said, the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. If you've got a secret sin, 
It won't be secret for long. It will, you will be found out. So surrender to God. Bring everything out into the light. Recognize his incredible grace, his, his unconditional love for you, and bring it all into the light. Surrender it all to him. Give it all to him. Jesus continues. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. You know, the world talks a lot about managing our mental health, managing our anxiety, managing our addictions. I think Jesus does not just want to manage your weaknesses. Jesus wants to take your addictions and take your anxieties and destroy them, heal them, remove them, make you new. This is why we have a new life. The old life is dead and a new life is given to us. He wants to take your old life and make it gone and then set you free. And even if you are righteous, it is not because you made you, are, you righteous. If you are righteous, it's because God made you righteous. We are powerless to make ourselves good, to make ourselves holy. But what is the result of being in a relationship with God, for, with surrendering to Him? The results, the Scripture calls them the fruit of the Spirit. That's the results. When we are in relationship with God, He changes us. He produces fruit in our life. You've probably read the passage. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works, notice that, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and like two more verses of things like that. Notice that when it's the result of our actions, it's called the works of the flesh. But when it is the result of God's actions, it's the fruit, not, not the works, not the results, it's the fruit. Why? Because the works is the result of effort, but the fruit is the result of life. Only a living tree can produce fruit. If it's dead, it cannot. And that life can only be given to us by the one who created life in the beginning. God is the only one who can put life in us. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. Does this define your life? We, we, we sometimes think that God prioritizes things that he doesn't. So pay attention to this list. What are the characteristics of the things on this list? What kind of person is this defining? I'm going to read it again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Does this define you? And self-control. This one knocks me off my tracks a little bit. Self-control. Self-control is a result. It's a fruit 
of being in relationship with God. We think of self-control as something I've got to conjure up. I've got, I've got to have enough of it. I've got to work hard enough. I've got to do good enough. God tells us it's a result of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And yes, relationships take effort. Once I am in a relationship, I can't just say, well, I'm in the relationship. Now everything is going to be easy. You must not have been married if you think so. You get married and you recognize that there are going to be good things that come as a result of this marriage. That doesn't mean that I will not have to invest anything in the marriage. But I can't get those things without the marriage. The relationships allow the fruit to be produced in my life. So the question is, where does our freedom come from? What is the source? If the source is gov government, if our freedom comes from government, then government is your great hope. Sacrifice for it, cherish it, love it. But eventually, if government is the source of your freedom, then you will lose it. Or your kids will lose it. Or does our freedom come from some evolutionary process? Or some another God they call the Big Bang? Is that where our freedom comes from? Well, you better hope that you are the fittest. Or else you will not survive. It's not a very benevolent God, this Big Bang. Here's, here's a story about the early Christians. The captain went with his temple guard, so this is the leader of the, the temple, which is more a religious institution now than a spiritual institution. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. So they had some freedom, but not enough. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you, apostles, Strict orders, never again to teach in Jesus' name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death? So in this time, the temple leaders or the Jewish government leaders had some power, but not a lot of power. They had some freedom, but not a lot of freedom. Why? Well, they were governed by Rome. And Rome would only give them so much freedom or power as long as they were valuable to Rome. And how were the temple leaders valuable to Rome? Only if they could keep the people in line. So the temple leaders were kind of constrained in two ways. One, they were constrained by Rome. We're only going to get freedom from you if we're doing something that benefits you. Two, they were constrained in by the people. They had to do what made the people happy because they needed to keep the people in line. So they were trying to get freedom from two different directions, pandering to two different groups of people to get their freedom. And so they, in this moment, are threatened by the Christians. These Christians who are not falling in line and really could, like, the way they talk about some other kingdom and the way they talk about surrendering to God sure is a threat to us because we need to make sure you know who's in charge. You need to know that you need to fall in line, Christians. 
The source of our freedom determines how we use it. And these Christians are beginning to realize we don't get our freedom from Rome. And no, we don't get our freedom from you, temple leaders. Our freedom comes from somewhere else. If it comes from government, then our gratitude should lead us to sacrifice and love the government. If it comes from Rome, then we should do whatever it takes to make Rome happy. But if our freedom comes from God, then I will use my freedom to please God. Then I will use my freedom in service to him. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. To be honest with you, I regret a lot about how I handled COVID-19. I had some leadership and didn't know how to use it. In hindsight, it's very easy to look back and say, I would have made decisions much differently now. But in that time, I was trying to figure out, where does my freedom come from? Who do I follow? Who do I obey? There's people pulling me in all these different directions, and I was trying to figure out who I should try to please. And a lot of people made a lot of confident statements, a lot of big promises, a lot of people that I thought I could trust, and I was burned by a lot of people. And this is the reality of the... In your life, if you choose to put your faith in people, People will fail you every time. Now, we thank God for good family. We thank God for a good church. We thank God for good people around us who do their best to support us, to love, to love us, but they're broken people too. They're fallen too. So people fail us. But there's one who will not. How can we do anything but obey the one, to put our faith in the one who gave us our freedom. We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. The Romans gave the Jews a little freedom. As long as they're paying taxes, they gave the Jewish leaders a little bit of freedom. And how did those Jewish leaders use the little bit of freedom that they were given? They killed their own Messiah. They were so focused on pleasing man that they killed their own Messiah, the one who came to die for them, the one who came to give them the freedom that they really want. They killed him because they didn't realize what freedom they really needed and who they should really surrender to for their freedom. Christians, our freedom comes from God. So how will we use it? So what will we do with it? God commands us to sacrifice. That's the type of freedom we're talking. That's kingdom freedom, sacrificial freedom, generous freedom. To sacrifice our rights for others. Man says, get what you can. Survival of the fittest. God says, give sacrificially. Put others before yourself. 
turn the other cheek. Because man's freedom leads us logically to things like be proud of who you are, embrace yourself, trust your heart, look within. So it is no surprise when this is the message of most of our world. And if you look at this list and you think it's an okay list, then you've been, your mind has been somewhat tainted by the world that tries to give us a version of freedom that God never intended for us to have. Because I look at this list and I see a very anti-Christian list. God calls us to the opposite of all of these things. God's freedom says, become like Christ, not be proud of who you are. Sacrifice for others. Trust God alone, not your heart. Your heart is evil. Look above, not within. You remember the story of Elijah, Elijah on Mount Carmel. It's a famous showdown between God, our God, and the false God, Baal, or Baal. Baal, we've talked about him in the past as this horrible false god. that they, they call him the god of fertility and the god of rain. Those two things are, are pretty con connected. And, and they would sacrifice their children to this god and orgies and all kinds, like just horrible things throughout history have done have been done in the name of Baal. And at this time in Israel's history, Israel has given themselves, Israel, God's people, have given themselves. You want, you want to talk about humans' inability to stay faithful to God, talk about the Israelites worshiping Baal. And this is what's happening at this time in history. So Elijah, a prophet from God, is a representative of God in this showdown between Elijah and the true God and the king of Israel and this false god, Baal. So that's the story. That's the beginning. It goes like this. King Ahab, king of Israel, summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Elijah stood in front of the prophets of Baal and said, How much longer will you waver? hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Get off the fence. Stop wavering between these two ideas. It's either humanism or it's God. Pick one. Quit doing both. Quit being lukewarm. Put God to the test, and if you decide that he is the God, then seek after him. Fully give yourself to him. So there's this incredible scene of Elijah mocking the prophets of Baal, and you're kind of just chuckling all the way through it as you think what is happening. Because in this scenario, the showdown is happening. They're all trying to light this pile of wood on fire. And they're trying to figure out, will Baal light the wood on fire, or will God light the wood on fire? And this is what Elijah says. You'll have to shout louder. He scoffed. For surely Baal is a god, right? Perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. I like Elijah. You like Elijah? I think Elijah is awesome. Then Elijah told the people to completely, so the prophets of Baal couldn't light the wood on fire. 
And then Elijah tells the people to completely drench the wood on the altar. Soak it. Put water all, water all over it. And then build a trench and put water all around it. Soak the wood. And then he turned to God. And he asked God to light the wood on fire. And immediately, go back, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. How do you burn up dust? It even licked up all the water in the trench. I am optimistic that eventually our nation will realize that our true strength never came from government or any other man for that matter. Our true strength came from the reality that there were a few men in our founding who were influenced by Christian ideas. I'm not saying they were perfect and whatever. And as we replace these ideas that were founded with Christian principles, as we replace them with more man-centric ideas, then what will happen? We will get weaker. As we kind of sit on the fence between humanism and God worship, and we replace God's ideas with man's ideas, eventually what will happen is we will get weaker. The more Israelite, the Israelites worshipped Baal and the less they worshipped God, the weaker they got. And what will happen to us as a nation, and any nation for that matter, will be an identity crisis. Who, who am I really? What, what is my identity? Where's, where does my value come from? What makes me valuable? What makes my life important? What gives me worth? Because you can't say all men are equal. You can't say that. Why? Because what? Who says? There's no logic there. You can say all men are created equal. That's logical. That makes sense. You, you can't, you have to pick. And if you look at our nation and it feels like we're having an identity crisis, like what is it, look, what is it to be an American? What is it to be uh, a, a part of this community we call ourselves or we're a part of and it looks like you got like this identity crisis all this division and weakness it's because we're on a fence we won't get off we won't pick a side i think also the source of our freedom determines who we trust see israel started to replace the true god with fake gods with weak gods and as a result they got weak and in the Bible, when people have an encounter with an angel, the angel always says one of two things. Both are two-word phrases. Anybody know what people see? What, what is the first thing an angel says when it talks to a human? Fear not. Fear not. Why? Because they're scary they're terrifying. It's an angel. There's another two-word phrase that angels use. Good job. Stand up or get up. Get up. Why? Because 
people fall down in fear when they see an angel. And God is the commander-in-chief of an army of the baddest soldiers that you can imagine. We just read a story in 1 Kings 18. Let's read a story in 2 Kings 18. In the, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah. So Judah's southern king, the kingdom of Israel at this time, that's where Jerusalem is. Assyria wants Jerusalem, just like everybody throughout history has wanted Jerusalem. Like, I don't know why, but all nations always want Jerusalem. Actually, I do know why, but every kingdom wants Jerusalem. So the people of Israel are terrified because the Assyrians are powerful. 185,000 soldiers attacking Judah, attacking Israel to try to take over Jerusalem. But King Hezekiah at this time trusted God. Finally, they got a good king. Then the Assyrian king, king's chief, chief of staff, told them to give this message to Hezekiah, king of Judah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident, Hezekiah? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? Don't you realize I have 185,000 soldiers knocking at your door? Hey, Israel, why are you so dumb? Where do you get your faith from? Then Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, wasn't getting through to Hezekiah, so he sent a message directly to the people of Israel. This is what his message to the people of Israel said. This is what King Sennacherib says. Don't let Hezekiah, king of Judah, deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. He's just a man. He's weak. He doesn't have as big of an army. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely rescue us. The city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. What king is worth surrendering to? What king is worth serving? It's the kind of king that is strong enough to protect you and who loves you enough to do it. See, Bill Maher is a prophet of Baal. He's Sennacherib. He says that your God is weak. He can't do anything. And his humanism is strong. Now, I believe that eventually those people who say, I think I'm strong, but I also want to search and find if there's something stronger, we'll find God. If you seek him, you will find him. I have high hopes that a lot of these people who 
put themselves up on a pedestal and pretend to be strong will eventually in their lives come to the conclusion, I'm not as strong as I say I am. Bill Maher can be saved, but he will have to admit that he is weak. He can pretend all he wants to, but he will be found out. And so will we. If you've built this habit into your life of pretending, propping yourself up, of pretending to be strong, then I invite you to a much more healthy, a much more happy life that admits that I cannot do it on my own. I'm not strong enough. I don't have to be strong. I don't have to pretend to be strong enough. But I serve a God that is. I worship a God who is. So my very practical invitation to you this week is this. When you go home, when you're going throughout your week, when you see your house, you say, this is not my house. This is God's house. These are not my kids. These are God's kids. This is not my stuff. This is not my job. This is not my whatever it is. This is not my bank account. This is God's. Because we have surrendered to him. And we've allowed him to take all of what he's already given us and use it to produce fruit. To give us a new life that then can produce fruit that we could never produce without him. So go through that mental exercise this week. Whose life is this? And surrender it to him. God, I thank you that you, the great creator of the world, chose to get small enough to come down and meet me individually. God, I pray that in my moments of pride, I will more fully surrender to you. Thank you for your love, for your power. In Jesus' name. Amen.